You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's got locations up and down the front range. If you haven't checked one out, you need to do that. We're going to talk uh, some winter camping with the Jack's people in the second hour. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Hatchery System is Quentin Springer. Good morning, Quentin. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great. A beautiful day. Weather's going to change a little bit, but I actually think it's going to make the, the fishing and hunting a little better over with this. We get some cooling going into the fall. And, you know, <clears throat> I don't know how much you heard of that last segment we were talking about. We were talking about different fishing across the front range. And uh, we have in some incredible warm water fishing, and especially for panfish up and down the front range of Colorado and in other places, too. And we talk a lot about the warm water stocking. We talk about the trout. Everybody knows that the trucks pull up and dump the trout in. And we talk a lot about the walleye spawn, but you guys do a lot more than that. In fact, you your particular hatchery does a lot with crappies and bluegills. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we're all through stocking crappie this year, but we still got bluegill left. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 400,000 crappie that or uh, sorry bluegill that we still have left to stock this year so and you know and those end up in ponds and we'll talk a little bit more about that but take us through the process of uh since you know you probably uh, raising or stocking bluegill and crappie in colorado what does it take and how do you get started on that so all of our crappie and uh, bluegill come from brood stock that we have on the hatchery and those fish take couple years to mature to where they can produce eggs and so what we do is um like with crappie they they spawn earlier than the bluegill do but we, we go through every single one of the fish and you can identify the sex based on um, physical characteristics and what we do is we basically pair them up and put them in the pond and you just kind of sit back and let nature take its course and after about 45 days, you can separate the adults from the babies. Um, crappie are pretty cannibalistic, and so you have to separate them. Otherwise, the parents will eat the, the larval fish. And so then we put those young larval fish in the grow-out ponds. And in another 45 days, they're about two inches, and that's what the stocking schedule calls for for both crappie and bluegill or two-inch fairling. So that's what we stock them out as. And as far as where you stock those, that's, uh, you said, you told me, we talked earlier that you kind of have some meetings with the biologists and they determine how they're going to manage each lake and, and then they put in their request to you for what they can get. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, warm water hatcheries are pretty limited as far as the number of us go across the state. There's three warm water hatcheries. And so even though we're all on the Eastern slope, we, we stock the entire state. So all three of the hatcheries, we we put the miles on the trucks, and we go to the southwest, and we go to the northwest, and especially up and down the front range. There's a enormous number of ponds and lakes around the Denver metro area and uh, a lot of fishing pressure on those. So we spend a lot of time stocking those waters. Now, panfish are known to be prolific, but you say because there's pressure and because there's there's cannibalization there a lot of these fish i'm sure end up as prey for bass or bigger panfish um so you don't rely on natural reproduction for most of these panfish except in rare instances you're supplementing almost all of them is that right 
Yeah, there's, um, you know, maybe like certain particular waters, they have really good reproduction or something like that. And the biologists won't request fish for those. But by and large, um, like you say, either predation by other fish or just the sheer pressure that people are putting on those waters and pulling fish out, um, it takes a little bit of supplemental stock. And so we, um, you know, I think I mentioned yesterday, like, our stocking schedule for bluegill is something like uh, nine pages long, and that's uh, the whole state. But just Denver metro area is like two and a half pages long. So, um, yeah. Well, and that's what that puts these fish in a area where uh, you can anybody can almost walk to a park pond, or a kid when he gets a little older can take his bike and go to a park pond. You know, we have a saying on the show here: "Buy him a tackle box, not an Xbox," and get him yeah. outside and fish. Get him outside and get him fishing those ponds. And the panfish, now we're going to talk in the next segment about bass and catfish, and they're available too, but starting out, the panfish are usually willing biters, and beginning anglers just love to have action. And um, without the stocking, we really didn't have uh, a warm water panfish base in Colorado, did we? Um, you, you know, most of the warm water fish are introduced species, you know, and so if they weren't stocked, they wouldn't have been there originally. I mean, green sunfish are a native fish, and then there's there's a few, like you mentioned, catfish, like black bullheads are native. Um, but by and large, all the sport fish that are warm water are introduced. So, Yeah, and so it's, what a great um, service you do providing this resource. Is I know that a lot of thought goes into the size of how much it costs to raise fish because of you need... You need area and space, and you need feed. Are panfish fairly expensive to raise to that two inches, or is that kind of the optimal cost size, too? Well, it, it's uh, warm water fish are kind of a different thing altogether, you know, like trout. Um, I like to compare trout almost to cattle because you, you just you grow them, you feed them, and they're um, intensively raised culture-wise, fish culture-wise. Warm water fish are completely different beasts because you put them in a pond. We actually fertilize the pond with alfalfa pellets, and then you're just relying on that natural food chain that occurs in every lake and pond, you know, with zooplankton and phytoplankton and everything. So that's what those guys are eating. Um, it's it's a less expensive fish to produce by far than a trout, um, and we're just kind of capitalizing on that by stocking them out at a a smaller size, usually about two inches. There's some really good survival, even though they're smaller, you know, they can still seek out cover and escape predators and stuff at that size. But how long does it take till they grow to get maybe, you know, five, six inches, four or five inches so that they're kind of catchable? Oh, like a, I'd say like a uh, bluegill, that's, that's two years. That's not that long. And, um, those guys are actually reproductive at two years. Crappie are probably a little longer. Um, they're probably two years again um, for the uh, six-inch size or so, but then they don't become reproductive till about year four, year five in the state. So, 
Well, you guys are, we're about out of time, but you guys are providing a great resource. Uh, we're going to talk next segment about the, the bass and the catfish, but the access to getting these warm water species, you know, you couldn't put trout in a lot of these ponds, could you? They wouldn't survive. Right. It's not just a, a temperature issue, too. It's an oxygen issue because as the water warms, it doesn't carry as much oxygen, and that's what a, it's a big driving force behind survival and trout, you know. And we right now our ponds just here in Pueblo are, you know, mid to, mid seventies to low eighties just every day, and that's just way too warm for trout. So. Well, I want to thank you guys for what you do because I go out and take advantage of it. I go fish the panfish. I take my grandkids to the ponds. That's where I get every one of them started. Don't take them out of my boat. I take them to a pond, and we fish for panfish. So, Quentin, thanks for what you do, and thanks to Parks and Wildlife for providing this resource. Thank you, Terry. I've enjoyed it. Appreciate your time. All right. You bet. That's Quentin Springer from Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a time out. We're going to continue this discussion as we talk about what it takes to get a fish that has become one of the most popular fish in Colorado in our lakes and ponds. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan.